So Lord, even if we feel heavy under the weight of what we're going through, our emotions, our circumstances, may we lift our heads up to consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Even before we feel it, may we begin to consider it and remember it. And may we begin to see that there's hope still. Even if we're walking through a storm, even if we're the ones who caused the storm, that you are God of grace, mercy, never-ending love. And you are the God, you're the God who has been faithful even when we're faithless. So we can trust you, put our hope in you. You do not fail. So we love you, we praise you, and as we open your word, may you continue to help us set our gaze with faith on the full picture. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Ooh, I needed that. I, I needed that. How about you? Thank you, Joseph. Sometimes, guys, life just, life just has a way of crowding out that time that we would normally spend to consider the steadfast love of God. Or guilt, shame as a way of trying to convince us. We don't deserve the steadfast love of God. And the gospel comes in and says, you didn't deserve it in the first place. But he gave it because that's who he is. That's who he is. So we receive it. And that's my prayer for all of us this morning, that you receive it. You don't walk out of here today without knowing just how much God loves you, who he is, and who he says you are. Amen, everybody. Amen. All right. Well, let's get back into the Old Testament book of Daniel. Feel free to go ahead and open your own Bible if you got them, or the Bible app, or in Daniel chapter 6. Or if you want to open those blue Bibles in front of you, we're on page 725. It'll also be on the screen, but especially since one of our screens are currently not working, um, I want you to be able to have something that you can look at. Now, if, you, if you've been following with us in the book of Daniel so far, you've already can tell, like, this is an intense book. And so if you were expecting this summer, I don't know, more some light reading or some refreshing devotional thoughts like lemonade on a hot day. Like, sorry to disappoint. <laughs> That's not Daniel. But why are we covering Daniel during the summer? Because Daniel speaks to, I believe, where we are as followers of Christ in this society. To many of the questions that so many of us are wrestling and dealing with. You know, for example... You know, as a pastor, I've heard from a lot of you guys, and some of the most common questions that I hear are questions like, how do I follow Jesus when, when it seems that most people around me don't? Or how do I stay true to my faith, even though there are various pressures around me trying to get me to conform? Or I had some guy ask me the other day, he said, hey, I, it seems to me like, it, like the world is getting worse, and, and I don't want to be passive, but I don't know what to do. So where do I even start? Or for some of us, I, I've heard inklings too, is, is as if it feels like it's getting more difficult to follow Jesus in our world today. And I, I for one, can say that sometimes it does feel like, I feel like an exhausted salmon swimming upstream in a current that's just getting stronger. I mean, anybody else there with me? Anybody else feel that? Yeah. 
Yeah, and so that's the reason why we're going into this book called Daniel, because Daniel speaks directly to these questions. It follows four Hebrew men, one of whom is named Daniel, who are, their ultimate allegiance is to God. They're followers of God, but they live in a land called Babylon that cares little to nothing about Daniel's God. And so that even though they live in Babylon, their ultimate allegiance being to God, that means that there are going to be many moments when they feel like they're swimming upstream in the culture that they're in, against the expectations of the laws of the land. And sometimes we're swimming upstream and even gets to a moment where there's, there's, a, there's a crossroad where we either have to choose, will we obey God or will we obey this world? Now, I'm just curious, just by a show of hands, how many of you in here have had a situation in your life where maybe somebody in authority was, requir- was requiring you to do something that went against what God said, what you knew God said to do? Any, anybody in here? Had, you felt that situation before? All right, that's quite a few. That's quite a few. Maybe, maybe for you, it could be uh, you feel a conviction that you, you want to make sure you don't work on Sunday morning so that you can come to, to work, but your boss threatens to fire you if you don't. I know that's against the law, but hey, that happens, right? Um, or, or maybe as a kid, your parents were discouraging you trying to pursue Christianity, calling it a superstition. Or maybe you had a certain friend group that you used to hang out with all the time and and they are clearly not followers of Jesus. And then all of a sudden you begin to follow Jesus and they start ghosting you, start ignoring you. Right? These are all situations that, that can fit within that. Like all of a sudden you come to a crossroads. Which way will you choose? And if you've experienced something like that, well, guess what? Daniel definitely did too. And as we turn to this book, we see that in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is now in his early 80s. And times have changed a lot for him. When the Babylonians were once in control, now the the Medes and the Persians have joined together under a powerful king named Darius. And while Daniel is still a high official in this kingdom, there's there's a point of tension that's coming where he's going to have to choose, do I obey the law of the land or do I obey the way that God I know is calling me to live? And so he must choose who he will follow. So will he be prepared? How will he stand firm? And who will God show himself to be in the midst of it? Well, as you saw a moment ago, with all the hands raised in this room, many of you have experienced similar things of having to choose. And if not already, perhaps you will in the future. And Jesus told us, he said, hey, in this world, you are going to have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So how do we be prepared to follow, to be faithful to God, even when there may be a crossroads we come to? And how do we stand firm in that moment? And who does God show himself to be in the midst of it? And so we're taking those questions today and we're coming to God's word. And we're going to look at the most famous story in the book of Daniel and the lion's den. Daniel and the lion's den. But we're going to start by looking at just the first ten verses of Daniel chapter 6. How will Daniel be prepared to be faithful to and obey God, to be true to who he is? How will he stand firm when the moment comes? And who does God show himself to be through it all? All right, let me pray. And then we're going to begin by reading the first ten verses of Daniel 6. So God, as we open your word... I pray that you open our hearts, 
and our minds. Come, transform us. May we not just be informed, but transformed in the way that we live, the way that we think, and who we are. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. So it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps, they're basically Persian governors, to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. And the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. But at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in the conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And finally, these men said, We will never find any basis of charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So, these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, Make King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So, King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned, everybody say, when Daniel learned, that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. All right, pause here. If you're like me, you're thinking, come on, man, get to the lions, right? Like, this is exciting. But but, but before we get to the action, I want us to see who Daniel was. Because if all God wanted us to see in this story were the lions, he wouldn't have included the first half of the story. So what is it that he wants us to see in who Daniel was before we even get to the action? And what is his example meant to show us or teach us? How do we know if we will be prepared to be, remain, to, be, to be faithful to God even when the crossroad comes? See, we will be prepared to be faithful to choose Christ tomorrow as we learn to walk with him today. So like I said before, if you, if you got used to the Babylonians so far, the Babylonians are now history. Now the man in charge is Darius. And Darius has united two kingdoms under himself, the Medes and the Persians, and then he sacked Babylon. And then he appointed 120 satraps, again like governors, over his vast kingdom with only three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. And so then after the story gives us that context, it's like Darius moves to the background of the story and Daniel steps forward and the spotlight's on him because it says Daniel distinguished himself above the rest. That he was so exceptional in what he did that Darius says, I'm ready to give the whole kingdom to you, buddy. But the story wants us to see is not just telling us that Daniel was great at his job. Because the story doesn't just focus on what he did. It focuses mostly on who he was. And the culture around Daniel didn't honor God, but Daniel was a faithful presence in it. Now, 
I'll explain that in a second. But I don't expect you guys to remember uh, something we mentioned back in week one of this series. But back in week one, we talked about how we as Christians can respond to the culture we live in in one of three ways. First, we can choose to separate ourselves from people who don't think, don't act, don't believe like us. Right? This is the assumption that the culture around us is mostly bad. And so, we, the, so with that, you might, we think, all right, it's my job to play defense to try to preserve who we are. And when we think of this view, you might think of the most extreme examples, like the Amish or some groups of Mennonites. But honestly, there are many Christians who practice this separate sort of mentality. Because even if we live in the world, if the only people we know are Christians, then we are, intentionally or not, separating ourselves from the world. Because we do not know people who are far from God. But if we don't separate, and some people think, that, well, the only other option then is second, for Christians to conform to the culture. Because the assumption of those who conform is that, well, culture is mostly good. And to conform means that we compromise essential aspects of who we are as Christ followers and line up with the culture. And if you want to know if conforming is going on, then I've learned, at least from, from looking at different churches and groups of people, that oftentimes the first sign of someone conforming is that God, the Bible begins to be treated like an inspiring spiritual book of suggestions instead of the Word of God. And so that, that's, that's what I would say, man. If you're wondering if, if conforming is going on, number one, look to see, are they honoring God's word and are they submitting themselves to God's word? That's number one. But there's a third way instead of separating or conforming. And then instead of separating or conforming, we see Daniel go a third way, which I call being a faithful presence in the culture. Because his address is in Babylon, but he belongs to the God of heaven. He's faithful to God first, but he's also present in his city seeking its best. And so this example of faithful presence is what Christ calls us, his church, to be. Faithful first to Christ, but also present in our communities seeking God's best for them. Amen, everybody. Because Jesus said... As the Father sent me, I am sending you into the world. Or Paul put it another way. He says that just like ambassadors belong to one kingdom but are present in a different one, he says we are Christ's ambassadors. We belong to God's kingdom, but we are present in Massachusetts, in New Hampshire, or wherever we go. That's a picture of faithful presence. But instead of, well, what does that actually look like? Is the next question. Because let's go from abstract idea of this faithful presence to real life. Because looking at Daniel, a man who is faithful to God yet present in his city, we see three vital qualities in him. Three. First, that if we are to be faithful presence where we are, then we work with excellence and service to God and for the good of others. You know, this is who Daniel was. It didn't matter from Daniel 1 all the way to Daniel 6. It didn't matter who he worked for, what he did, that Daniel was a man who did his best to make things better around him. He used the job, the role, whatever responsibility he had to ultimately make things better. And God has given you talents, 
responsibilities, resources, relationships. So that with these things we can ask him, God, how can I use these things to seek the good of those here and now around me? Because it's no accident that you live where you live, that you work where you work. That is no accident. And even if you might not have a big government job like Daniel, how can you work for the best of others? That's part of being a faithful presence in our culture. It's an expression of God's love and care and concern for the people around us. You guys tracking with me? So in addition to faithful presence, in addition to working with excellence, a faithful presence in this world means that we are also people of integrity. I find that I always get quiet when people talk about integrity too. But integrity means that we are who we say we are and that we do what we say we're going to do. Integrity means that we choose to do the right thing even when it hurts. Integrity means that even when we do act hypocritically, that we confess it and we get right again. Because see, when the jealous government officials tried to oust Daniel, what did it say? They could find no corruption, not even neglect in him. May that be said of us as followers of Jesus. And that is a key aspect of being faithful presence in this world. So for Daniel, he worked with excellence, a man of integrity, but last, a faithful presence develops regular habits of connection with God. And this one might be more for us than anybody else. More for us than anybody else. Because see, when you say regular habits, you could call these spiritual disciplines. You could call these practices in prayer. You can call them whatever fits for you. But when the moment of tension came for Daniel, prayer already framed his life. That in the morning, at noontime, in the evening, he says he opened his curtains to face Jerusalem and he talked to his God. And for us, talking to our God, reading his word, gathering with other Christ followers just like you're doing right now, These are habits that connect us to our God and shape us to become like him. And these habits form the roots that go down and ground us in who God is and who we are in him. You've often heard that we are what we practice. Well, as we consistently practice opening our heart to God and connecting with him, our faith grows and we become faithful Because Daniel pulled back the curtains and he prayed toward Jerusalem. One, because, yeah, Jerusalem is where God's temple was and his presence was said to dwell. But I think even more, Daniel knew the promise of God that Jerusalem is where the Messiah would come, the Savior. And so, three times a day, Daniel ripped open his curtains, talked to God in view of God's promises. And if we are going to be faithful and present in our culture. We must habitually open the curtains of God's promises and allow the light to pour into our dark situations. Because are you feeling weak? Are you feeling tired, angry, discouraged, drained, fearful of what is going on in this world? Whenever I begin to feel that way, I find that's often because I've been allowing different priorities to crowd out my time to connect with God. 
So how can we rip open the curtains and allow the light of God's promise to regularly pour into our hearts? And if you're somebody today that's like, man, I don't know, my faith has just been feeling stale lately. I read the Bible, I talk to God, but it's feeling stale. Well, maybe it's time to actually shift up some of those habits. It's finding some ways to, to connect with God in new ways, in fresh ways, so that fresh faith can fill us and we become faithful. You guys see what I did there? <laughs> but here's the thing. Every time we choose to get up a little bit earlier than we would prefer to spend time with God. Every time we turn off the TV and choose to connect with God instead. Every time we put down that little anxiety box called our phone and instead cast our anxiety on God, we're actually training ourselves. Every time we make that decision, we're choosing God over something else. It's a bunch of small ways that we're preparing ourselves with faith in case an, ever, an even bigger decision comes our way. Because being a faithful presence equips us to respond with calm courage when necessary. And the day did come when Daniel had to choose between the law of the land and the law of God in direct conflict. Either pray to King Darius for 30 days or be thrown into the lion's den. And in that moment, Daniel opened his curtains like he always did and went back to his God. But what's next? All right, here come the lions. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that, that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or human except you, your majesty, would be thrown in the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah. You see the hit there? Again, it's subtle. It's not an administrator. The exile. Pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. And he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. Sometimes... As followers of Jesus, we may have to choose, will we be faithful to God or present in this world? We see that Daniel, who was a faithful presence for a long time, in this moment, the day came when he had to choose, would he be faithful to God or present in this world? Now, in our country, you know, we have considerable freedom to practice our faith. We can go openly to church. We can raise our kids in the faith. We can develop our own Christian institutions. 
We can even protest various trends in society if we see fit, right? These are all blessings that we have, sure. But while we may not have choices quite as drastic or life-depending as Daniel did, we still may have to choose to be, will I be faithful to God or present in my company? Will I be faithful to God or present in this particular group of people? And we start to wonder even in that moment, like, is it worth the risk? Is following Jesus worth the cost? But when man's will and God's will clash, that's when we need our faith to inform our perspective. And as Daniel pulled open the curtains to shine the light of God's promises into his dark situation and talk with his God, that's when all of a sudden we as the reader begin to get clarity on the whole situation. Because as we read this story first, we see that while people can only see in part, God sees the whole picture. The King Darius issues this decree by his own authority, but he can't even see how it's going to impact one of his top administrators. But the sovereign God saw it all and was already working ahead of Daniel. Second, we get perspective from the story that while people reach for control, God works all things together for his good and our good. You see the control. All of Daniel's accusers thinking they've got Darius and Daniel cornered. And then Darius creates this law by his own authority. And then after doing that, regrets it and can't undo it by his own authority. Have you ever regrettably done something and realized you can't go back and undo that? You felt that? I have. But God hasn't. Despite evil's intention, God works to bring about his salvation. And third, as far as perspective, when people loudly threaten with fear, God calmly leads us toward life. That the king issued his law, but the faithful Daniel, he's learned that no matter what laws come our way, he learned that exactly as the psalmist did, that only God's law is perfect and refreshes the soul. That there might be many human voices yelling around us, insisting that they're all right. But when you connect with God, when you have been living as a faithful presence with God, you've already tasted and seen that His way is right. His way gives joy to the heart and light to the eyes, exactly as the psalmist said. And while Daniel opened his curtains to look toward Jerusalem, looking forward to the Messiah to come. We open ours and we can look back to Jesus and see that in him all of these things were true. For it was the true faithful one, Jesus, who was arrested while praying in private by jealous and malicious accusers. And while his disciples were freaking out because they could only see in part, Jesus saw the whole picture. And it was Jesus who was unjustly accused by an unruly crowd and regrettably sentenced to death by Pontius Pilate, whose wife couldn't sleep at all the night before. But while people were reaching for control, God was working out salvation. You guys seeing this? And unlike Daniel, Jesus did suffer and he paid the ultimate cost with his life so that all who believe in him might not be people of fear, but of love and life for this world. And, while, and when we open the curtains 
and we allow the light of the gospel to shine into the darkness of our situation, there we find calm courage too to say along with our church fathers, we must obey God rather than human beings. And when we're willing to pay a cost because we love Jesus, that's when the world head turns. That's when people start to notice. And of course, we got to get the rest of the story, all right? Let's go back to verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found in him because he had trusted in his God. And at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the dens, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. We're not going to end there, all right? But like that's, the Persians were rough, all right? Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. Everybody say living God. And he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Woo! Right? Daniel. Daniel thrown in. A stone sealed his supposed tomb. Darius mourned. Daniel's accusers laughed. But the next morning, surprise, Daniel's alive. And he doesn't even have a scratch. Why? Because God was with him. And at this point, the heads of Darius and everybody else turn. And Darius says, and he's the only non-Gentile in the, old, in the whole Old Testament to say this. He serves a living God. A living God. And why is that huge? Because if we worship a God who's just a God of our imagination, it might make, make us feel good, but it can't save us. Only a living God can save. And only a living God is worthy of all our faith and trust. And so yet again, if you didn't catch it before, hopefully you catch it now. All of this is a foreshadowing of our Savior crucified on a cross, laid in a grave with a stone sealing its entrance. His followers mourned. His accusers thought they had won. Evil assumed that it had God's Savior in its teeth. But on the first day, or first light on the third day, three women went to the tomb to discover he is alive. And, 
And just like Darius's message was to his whole kingdom, our message has been the same ever since. Our God is alive and he endures forever. And we have a God who said himself in the flesh, fully present in our world, yet faithful to God. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though our physical bodies may die. That this is our eternal hope. That because he lives, all who trust in him, you live. And even when our physical body ceases, we continue to live. We live with him forever with the eternal hope that Christ not only came, but he will return and make all things right. And when we live with that eternal hope in front of us, we don't live like the world around us. You know, earlier this summer, my kids and I were at some store. I don't even remember what it was. And they had some allowance money burning through their pockets. And they saw this, these junky toys advertised in the store. And they said, Dad, can we get it? And I said, guys, 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 wait. Because later this summer, we're going to go on vacation. And there's going to be much better places than this place right here. And even though other kids were buying the toys around them, they chose to hold on to it. Why? Because they took me at my word. They took me at my word. And for us... As we live in this world, we might see the world around us doing a lot of things. And we're like, ah, like sometimes we may even want to join them in these things. And, but we hold on to his word. Remembering that there's more than just what we have here and now. Because our God is alive. And if our God is alive, what can human beings do to us? So I know, man, sometimes people look, look at you funny. Because you choose to take precious Sunday morning time and come to worship. I know sometimes people look at you funny because you are generous with your money in ways like, why aren't you using that for yourself? Or maybe you even chose to not take a job or step away from a job because of convictions and people asking you why. You know, oftentimes people ask me what I do. And I tell them, my pastor, the first question they ask is, why? <laughs> what? Sometimes they're nice, like, what led you to that decision, right? <laughs> but that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity which I've tried to take and say, well, there's a God that I know. And then he's led me, and he's alive, and he's at work in this world. And our faithful presence and calm courage testify to this world that our God is alive. Last thing I got. Has anybody in here seen, seen the movie The Pianist before? All right, some of you. All right, if you haven't, it portrays the, the true story of a guy named Wladyslaw Spielman. I practice that a lot. Wladyslaw Spielman, who is a Polish Jewish man who survived the horrors of World War II, even saw the execution of his entire family. And then after World War II became a leading concert pianist across Europe. But during World War II, he was, his friends were trying to hide him in a bunch of different places. Trying to keep him out of the Nazis' grasp. But one of those places, he ended up in this tiny little apartment, which happened to be right across the street from the German hospital. And when his friend left him in that apartment, he said... You are now living in the heart of the lion's den. So keep as quiet as possible. But there was a problem. Because in that tiny apartment in the corner was a piano. 
And you could just feel Spielman's angst just want to play it like he always did. And at one point, he even goes over to the piano. He lifts up the, the lid, takes off the felt cover off of the keys, and he just kind of closes his eyes. And you as the viewer begin to hear the symphony beginning to build in the background. And then the camera cuts to his face. And right on cue, you all of a sudden hear him playing this like victorious theme over top. And you're thinking, oh no. But then the camera cuts to his hands. And all you see is his hands floating above the keys. Not playing anything. All the music is in his head and his heart. And for us as followers of Jesus, no matter what you're going through, no matter what kind of tough situations you're trying to walk through, what choices or decisions you have to make, or even if you end up right in the den of the lions, nobody can take the music out of us. That victorious theme of the gospel where God sings over you that you are his, bought with the blood of the lamb because of the grace of God, that his steadfast love endures forever, that he is alive, and this is not all that there is. And as that theme, as the Holy Spirit sings it within our hearts and our minds, that strengthens us to keep going, to keep continuing to be faithful to God and present, seeking the best wherever he has placed us. But my question to you is, do you give time and space daily, regularly, to listen to that music of the gospel again? To hear it again in your heart and your mind? And allow it to strengthen you to keep going. Because it is our faithful presence and our calm courage that testifies to this world that our God is alive. Will you stand with me? God, there may be people in this room right now who are facing tough decisions. God, they might be feeling lonely because they've made certain choices to follow you and people have rejected them for it. I pray that you minister to them right where they are. You allow them to hear that music in their heart and mind again. For others in here who may be feeling afraid, not facing a big decision right now, but wondering if that decision will come, God, I pray that you encourage them. Show them that you are the living God who walks alongside of them. God, for anybody in here who's just struggling with anger toward this world and fear because of the way things seem to be turning out and, and, and feeling like it's so foreign or seems so far from God, or any of that, God, I pray that instead you, you place a peace and a calm over them and remind them again that you are alive and that your kingdom endures forever. But wherever we are in this room, even those who are in the den of the lion itself, May you sing over us again your gospel reality. Strengthen us so that we might be faithful to you, yet present in all the places you put us, working for your good in this world. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. amen.